We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So let's go ahead and jump into a our Q and A. We have a lot of questions uh, that we have here, and we're just going to jump into those. So we're going to jump into our um, Q and A. So we let's get at the top. We'll just kind of answer some of the Jeremiah Love questions. First one, Ryan: If Jeremiah Love wanted to play receiver at Notre Dame, can he help and compete with the caliber of talent Notre Dame is bringing in? I think he can. I, I wide receiver actually wouldn't be my first position that I would try him out at. Like I said, I think he's a running back and, but I think that he can. Yeah, John, I think that he's even a player where, whether you're talking about slot or he, I mean, he even has the speed where I think that he could play a little bit outside. I think he could definitely help you and compete, but I do ultimately think he's a running back first and foremost. Anthony Solomon talking about the 23 class. If Notre Dame gets Hannafin, is this a gap closing or gap erasing wide receiver class? I think it's got closing. Uh, well, actually, no, eh, gap racing, I would say, at that point, right? Because then we're talking about having the upside of a Ronan Hannafin with the upside of a Braylon James with the floor of a guy like a Jane Greathouse and a Rico Flores. At that point, I think you have a great mixture of guys that could play immediately and then guys that have incredible upside moving forward as well. So I think that would be in a racing class at that point. Definitely close, but I think that quickly you're going to kind of flip the script on that one. I don't think it's gap erasing because I don't know if it's capable, if Notre Dame's capable of having a gap erasing class in 2023. And, and what I mean by that is, I think the, here's what I mean by that, Ryan. I don't disagree with anything you just said. I just don't know if Notre Dame is capable of doing it no matter who they get. That's Fair. just, that's the reality of it. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, you know. Just because, again, right now we anticipate. Notre Dame having a situation where there's only going to be four scholarship receivers coming back next year. Mm-hmm. So you get four guys, you're, you're at eight. It's like one more recruited scholarship guy than you have right now. And now you're in a situation where over half of those guys will be freshmen or sophomores. Half of your roster is going to be freshmen. So I just don't know if it's impo- if it's possible to erase the gap in this class outside of like you landed, you know, Shelton Sampson, you know, I mean, just whoever the four best receivers in the class are. And even then, I'd still say, yeah, but you're still short on numbers. Sure. And so I think that's that's kind of my issue uh, at this point in time. I just don't know if you can say that with one class. When, when That's different for like one class on the D-line because they've been recruiting the D-line pretty good for years. Mm-hmm. Now they took it to another level with this Keon Keeley, you know, Bubakar, Brendan Vernon, Devin Houston class. You know, I, I think that that that's one where you could argue that, right? Uh, tight end, you know, the the gap's been erased for a minute. You know, like any any losses they had on the offensive line, you've kind of gotten back in the last couple of years. I mean, so it it just depends on on you know where you are. But I think with where this receiver class receiver depth chart was, when you consider you lost five guys in one off season going into twenty twenty one, and then you lose Kevin Austin, your best player, and you re- and, and then you replace those losses with one receiver in the two thousand twenty two class. I think just numbers wise they're gonna have to go. But from a from a talent infusion standpoint, everything that Ryan said earlier holds true. 
they are if they can get Ronan Hannafin, they would certainly certainly be doing about as good of a job as they could have done in this class. But he is key to that because it's going to be tough to to say that if you don't get Ronan Hannafin. I agree completely. In this class. Agree completely. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trade Coffee sent us two new flavors after my wife filled out their quiz. Big City French Roast from Joe Coffee in New York City and Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters in Massachusetts. The Black Velvet was a dark roast with a note of burnt sugar, graham cracker, and malted milk balls. It was a very rich but smooth flavor that reminded her a bit of her favorite dessert, creme brulee. The Big City French Roast was also a dark roast, which is right up my wife's alley. And it was flavored with burnt sugar, baking chocolate, and roasted almonds. The smell in the kitchen while she was preparing a cup of coffee put a smile on my face, and she said the taste was even better and sweeter. And she didn't pick these flavors. They were chosen by Trade after she filled out a short quiz. you got to give this a try. And Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best-tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. These are independent businesses from big cities and small towns. Trade customers are truly impactful for these independent roasters, often being the largest source of new growth for them. Trade's coffee team actually taste tests thousands of coffees to keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day. There's no one perfect coffee, but there is a perfect coffee for you, and Trade's human-powered algorithm will find it. Trade is so confident they'll match you right the first time that if they don't, they'll take your feedback, and an actual coffee expert will work with you to send you a brand new bag for free. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping and handling when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and let Trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $30 off. Benjamin Carchi shined up for the board the other day. Says, I love all the info on the board. Took me long enough, but I am now there. That is all that matters. And he signed up for an annual membership. So we we are going to see him around quite a bit. So we very much appreciate that. Being a, appreciate, appreciate you being part of what we're doing there very, very much. Sean Jeter said, what is your, and we have some team stuff here too. This doesn't have to be about just recruiting. It says, what is, what is an opinion you have for the 2022 season that you have absolutely zero evidence to support Minus the Stanford will overachieve and win nine games somehow. That's a, I, I love that the premise of that. You have zero evidence to believe this. Uh, here's one because I have zero evidence to believe this, but I believe it will be true. And I think it will, this will be a much better coached Notre Dame football team than it was last year. I have zero evidence to believe that because this staff has not coached a single game together, right? Marcus Freeman has not coached one game as a head football coach, in my opinion, that means anything. Uh, Cause I just, I don't put a lot in the bowl game, but as far as how, what do I have? What do I, what info do we have? What, what have we seen to make me believe that nothing? It's just, it's what I think based on what these guys have done, but I have zero evidence to believe that this staff as currently constituted will be better coached than, than Notre Dame has been in several years. And, but I believe it to be true. It's a prediction that I have for the season. What's yours, Ryan? I, I would go with a player one for me. I would go that Audric Estime becomes the bell cow, you know, long term. And I think that 
we both see the upside there, but I mean, what did he have last year, Brian? Seven carries in one football game, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing for us to believe that he is going to just come in and be the bell cow of the running back unit. So Audrey, I've been calling the Audrick estimate breakout for a little bit here over the last couple months. And I'm going to stick to that one. I think he eventually becomes the guy at the running back position with Chris Tyree's explosive mixed in a part of like a thunder or lightning competition. Speaking of, it's it's funny you say that because uh, the very next question from John A1 is the possible duo of Audric Estime and Chris Tyree will be the best Notre Dame duo since dot 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 prediction. I know Diggs is a player too, but he's recovering from injury with Price. That's a that's a, I mean because Notre Dame's had some pretty good one two punches in the in mm-hmm. recent years. I mean the Tyree Kyron Williams one two punch was pretty decent in 2020 when they actually used Chris Tyree. You go back to 2018, it was sort of a duo, but not until, when Dexter came back, he was that guy. Thinking back to 2015, it was a similar thing where, like, you know, numbers-wise, that was the best duo they had. Uh, mm-hmm. When you look at C.J. Procise rushed for 1,100 yards, Josh Adams set a freshman record over 700 yards, but they rarely used them together. Josh got in and mop, Josh got five carries, rushed for two touchdowns in the opener because uh, – because of the injury to Torian Folston. After that, he just basically got mop-up duties. I remember the USC game, he comes off the bench, rips off a 26-yard run to set up a touchdown, and doesn't touch the ball again the rest of the game. It was so weird. But, you know, that's kind of was their that how they how they did it uh, in a lot of years, which is really weird. But they weren't really a duo. I mean, I think you kind of have to go back, in my opinion, to sort of 2012 to get mm-hmm. the last, like, true duo where they would use multiple players together and it was really a trio it was theo riddick sear wood and then george atkinson also had some some big moments that year as well so the last time that i would argue that notre dame used a true duo was 2012 and then before that it was 2011 and i certainly think that this duo would have a chance to surpass that one although i do think it's kind of uh i think this duo in style would be more similar to the 2011 duo of Sear Wood and Jonas Gray, which I would argue was the best duo Notre Dame had under Brian Kelly. Until Jonas got hurt in 2011, that duo was nasty. Jonas obviously got hurt against BC, so he didn't play the last two games. But in 11 games, he had uh, he carried the ball 114 times for 791 yards, 12 touchdowns. He averaged 6.9 yards per carry. Is that good? Yeah, it's pretty decent. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, he was on pace because, remember, he had four carries for 17 years, and his season started off bad. Remember, he got stripped at the goal line against South Florida. He was the guy that fumbled that they returned it back. Mm-hmm. Carried the ball four times for 17 yards that game. He was on pace, if you look at the numbers he was putting up. I mean, he he was a a, a good game away in the final two games, and, and he didn't finish against BC of potentially getting to 1,000 yards and, and could have given them a two 1,000 receivers that year. So to me, that was the best duo that Notre Dame has had. And it was a similar duo because Jonas was sort of a one-cut-and-go guy. The funny mm-hmm. thing is that's more of how Chris Tyree is, one-cut-and-go. Uh, Sierra was the smooth, you know, make, and, and that's kind of more how Audric is, but Audric can then also lower the boom on you. I think that's the thing that people are sleeping on, Ryan, is you saw him play in high school. Mm-hmm. And, yes, he's big and strong, can run you over. This kid's got really good feet. Sure really good feet. And you even saw that last year against Navy with the spin move he had. Uh, he, he's, he's, he's not going to just run you over. He's going to do other things. And, and I really like that, that, that thunder and lightning sort of approach. I think it'd be really good because that's how I kind of felt a little bit about the 2011 group. Jonas could run you over, but that wasn't really necessarily his game. I think this group, this duo could be, could be better. It's going to be younger and less experienced, but it could end up being a better combination. I kind of like the Audric estimated Jonas Gray comparison. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I've never thought about that one. I don't know if you've ever mentioned that one before, but mm-hmm. there's some similarities there. Yeah. Like they look like a power back, but like then you kind of undersell the the shiftiness and the feet that they have in the mm-hmm. hole, and they kind of make guys miss in tight quarters. I, it's interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I guess you would have to go that far though, right? Because I mean, Notre Dame over the last few years has kind of been they have a bell cow, but they've had some years where their bell cow gets hurt and then they have to find another bell cow, right? Like they haven't really done the kind of the interchangeable thing. So mm-hmm. I think I think they have a chance, man. Like because I, I really do think that I think that Chris Tyree and Aldrich Estime are gonna get not an even split, especially early on, but I think that you could have hit a, a little niche there and a little 
momentum where like, hey, we need to get both these guys the football and we need to be creative with how they're getting them. And I think that that's where you get the one-two punch type of combination. Yep. Good question. Irishman 7114. Uh, excuse me. Here we go. Assume Notre Dame finishes 23 with Austin Novosad, Jeremiah Love, Ronan Hannafin, Samuel Pemba, Jaden Osborne, Ben managed to make 26 commits. Is that enough for a top five class? And how many do they take in 2024? Buddy, that's way past enough. Honestly, if Notre Dame only – here's the thing. If Notre Dame only gets four of those six, it's a top five class. Yes. I mean, it's 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 all but guaranteed to be a top four class, in my opinion. Top five class. If they get all those guys, yeah, you're, 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 you're closer to one than you are five at that point in time. And, and now will it be enough for number one? I don't know, but is it, is that enough for a top five class? More than enough. There, there, there's no question about that. More than enough. Well, I was going to say, even if you take Impemba out of there and you even just hit five of six, that's a top yeah. three class. Easy. In Most my likely in this particular year, especially when you're seeing more talent being spread out than you have in past years. I would agree with you. I would agree. At worst, that class is fourth. Yeah. And if you get in Pemba, then that's a top two class, and that's yeah. where you're really fighting for that number one right. spot, in my opinion. The interesting thing is losing a Hannafin of the other guys would have the least impact because he's not ranked properly. Now, I would argue that's nonsense, and if we're looking at this practically, forget what the rankings say, looking at this as practically, that hurts your class a lot. I'm just simply looking at it from a recruiting rankings standpoint because only 247 right now has even remotely come close to properly ranking Ronan Hannafin. They've jumped him up to 166. I'm comfortable with that. I have him closer to the top 100. But because the position he's going to play is something he's kind of not really experienced at, I'm okay with 166. Questions about his, you know, competition, all that stuff, you know, whatever. I, I have him higher, but I'm not going to argue with that. Some still mm-hmm. him as a three-star, and that's just patently absurd. Yes. But it, so it wouldn't crush your rankings to not get him, but it would hurt you practically not to get him. But, you know, Jaden Osbury, we feel really good about. He's a highly ranked guy. Austin Nova said he'll help you more with some than, rankings than others. He'll help you more in 247 because they just bumped him up to like, what, 89th in the country. Yep. yep. So that would help. He's like 188th on on three. Rivals has him at 136. So that would give you a bump if you can get him. Jeremiah loves like, borderline consensus top 100 player i think the lowest ranking he has right now is like what like 104 mm-hmm. i think right now it's his lowest ranking so yeah you're getting a you're getting a huge jump from those guys and this is what we talked about last week ryan where when when people kind of like there's a lot of notre dame fans and and again we know what it's called it's bkptsd where notre dame jumps out number one and they're like okay now let's just sit back and wait for these other schools to catch you this list right here shows a notre dame they're number one now they're number one on ESPN. They're tied for number one on Rivals. They're number one on the two four seven. It's either two four seven's own list has them twenty has them number one. The composite, I believe, has them number two. And I think and they're number one on the on three compo- consensus, I believe, but then number two on on three specific rankings. So they're either one tied for first or second on all the different rankings, and they're significantly ahead of most everybody else, other than Ohio State. But they're still some. Big time players, as we see down here on the board. Jeremiah Love's a top hundred recruit. Novasad's a top hundred recruit. Uh, Hannafin's a top two hundred recruit. Osbury's a top hundred recruit by by half of the services. Minich is the only guy that doesn't really bring a whole lot to the table from a recruiting ranking standpoint. But uh, with some of the recruiting rankings, it won't matter because they only rank the top twenty guys. Mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting it's a really interesting class. But yes, that would absolutely be a top five class. No doubt about it. John Mayo asked, uh, he said, uh, I've heard rumors that Justin Rett wants to come back to Notre Dame. Any truth to this? Uh, John, I have not heard that rumor. Uh, I can assure you that Notre Dame is not in conversation with Justin Rett. So he he may want to come back to Notre Dame. I have no idea if he does or doesn't. I'd, I'd be surprised by it. Uh, I, I have not heard this rumor before, uh, but I can confidently say that Notre Dame is not recruiting Justin Rett right now. Uh, and I'm not saying that to be like, oh, but they will in a week. I'm uh, no, I have as far as I know, there there are no plans for them to make a move on Justin Red. I think Notre Dame is Notre Dame is very happy with how their cornerback board panned out. And you also have to remember, it was not a one sided decision. 
that was a decision where um, Notre Dame, and if it was one-sided, it was more on Notre Dame's side than it was on Justin Red's side, if you remember yep. that. That scenario, John A1, this is a good team one, Ryan. Which O-line development performance during fall camp will be the most important for the offensive line to be where it needs to be week one? I, I think I mean it's gonna be comfortability playing in the different positions, right? I mean, we're talking about Jared Patterson potentially moving out to left guard. We're talking about Zeke Corral coming back in at center. You're you're talking about Josh Lug playing right guard, a position that he's played before, but he just played all of 2020 at right tackle, right? Or 2021, excuse me. So I think it's the meshing, and that's a big thing, is that offensive line is about a cohesiveness between, you know, left tackle all the way to right and a comfortability playing next to each other. So I think you're seeing three different players are going to be playing a different position than they played potentially in the 2021 season. So I think it's as much about like, let's get them in those positions and let's start getting that cohesiveness to work together because you're, when you're doing something that's different, you have to be able to, you know, get reps at that. Right. So I think that for me, the biggest thing about the offensive line is, you have to find the right five, but then you have to give them a time to gel together because it's such an important position. It's such an important thing to be able to be comfortable with the people around you playing offensive line. Next question from John A1. How teachable is ball placement for quarterbacks? Is ball placement an ability skill that is naturally inherent to a player's feel for the game, or can guys work on it and become elite with given physical tools? I think it's both. Uh, I think I think there's a couple things to this, John. Number one is th- with with quarterback play, it's no different than anything else. There's always a a natural ability that some guys have. I don't I don't think you know, Jimmy Clausen was a very coached up kid, right? But he also had a, a knack, a natural feel for where to put the football, and had the natural ability to do that. There are some guys that absolutely know where they want to put the ball, but they can't always do it for a host of reasons. Uh, sometimes it can be something as simple as their hands are too small and they don't get a grip or not strong and they can't get as strong of a grip on a ball. Cause sometimes when you're trying to place that thing, you're going to naturally have to squeeze it a little bit tighter to try to you know, force it into a tighter window. And some guys can't, can't throw as effectively in that situation. Uh, it, it, some of it's footwork. You know, if you want to put a ball low and away, there's a way to step to that. So there's some things can be enhanced to that. Uh, there's some things about release point that can be uh, addressed. Now, release point is not about your throwing motion. It's about the release point. If you want to get, so for example, uh, one of the things that I harped on with quarterbacks when I coached is when guys wanted to get touch on the ball, they would dip their back shoulder and and then do it that way. I hated that. I, I think that causes the ball to hang. I think it makes your pass less accurate. What I would say is, is you want to dig a little bit, maybe more on that back foot, but it's about the release point. Let the ball go sooner. That way you still have good arm speed. You're still snapping your wrist and the ball is going to get up and get down quicker because you don't want it to float. And so that is something that can be fixed. Now, a guy may be able to perfectly place it on the outside, but it's not going to be as effective if he's not able to get a little bit more zip on that touch pass. So there's all types of things like that that can be improved upon. But the reality is that some guys are just never going to have great ball placement and some guys naturally will. Mark Sanchez, to me, was one of the more fundamentally sound quarterbacks to come out of college in a long time. I mean, when I watched him play, there was nothing I could I could look at and say, this is why he's not super accurate. There was nothing I could look at someone and say, I, if I could correct this, he just didn't have that natural feel for where to put the ball or the timing of it, right? But he just wasn't a super accurate quarterback. Honestly, this is going to sound crazy. I don't think Peyton Manning was a super accurate quarterback the way that Tom Brady is. He was His timing was so impeccable that he didn't have to have the same ball placement that, Tom, that, that Aaron Rodgers has on throws, right? Uh, so, but, but he understood he still had an idea, a great feel mentally for the game of where the ball needed to go, even though he couldn't necessarily put it uh, quite as well as, like, say, an Aaron Rodgers, for example. Uh, so there's other aspects to it, but some guys, just no matter what you do, they're just not going to have a great feel there. And it, it's not even that they don't want to, but for whatever reason, maybe their, their throwing motion isn't conducive to it. Uh, maybe they just, they can't get the release point down properly. You see this baseball pitchers. It's like, why, why can some baseball pitchers put the ball wherever the heck they want? And some guys that can't, it's not that they don't want to, you know, it's like, I want to be able to throw the ball in the, the, the low outside part of the plate, but I just can't. 
so there's always something to it. But yes, it is a skill that can be an, it, that is inherent. It is a skill that can be worked on. And but I'll say the last part: the only way it can become elite with all the work in the world is if you have a natural feel to it, right? It, to be an elite ball placement guy, you have to have a natural feel with really good coaching. Like some kid who's never been coached is going to just walk out there and put the ball wherever he wants on every throw. He's going to have a knack for it, but then it requires the the coaching buildup to be able to uh, allow that to effectively happen on Saturdays. So that would be, um, John, that would be my answer to that uh, when it comes to uh, quarterback play. You guys all heard it. Brian said that uh, Peyton Manning was overrated. Go ahead. Sorry. Today is not the day for that, my friend. I'm sorry. I'm Today's sorry. not the day for that. I know. Trust me. I get it. I get it. Uh, Jack Sullivan said, is there time for a non-recruiting question? Always. Uh, position by position, how would you compare 2021 Oklahoma State to 2022 Ohio State? Uh, well, offensively, I don't think there is any comparison to me. I mean, is there a position on Oklahoma State's team that you would put in the same ballpark as Ohio State's? I think that their offensive line in 2021 was more fundamentally sound than Ohio State's was, but that's partly why Coach Stud's not there anymore. They don't have the size or the talent or the athleticism that Ohio State had on the offensive line. Uh, it's not really close anywhere else. Defensively, no. it's a different conversation. Linebackers, big, big advantage to Oklahoma State. Big advantage to Oklahoma State. Defensive line is interesting one because if we're going to go off, if we're going to sit here as NFL scouts, it's a no-brainer. It's Ohio State. If we're going to mm-hmm. go off who was the better college defensive line, uh, Ohio State's 2022 defensive line is going to have to get a lot better if it's going to be better than what Oklahoma State's was last year, Ryan. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, when you have guys like Brock Martin and the, I forget Oliver's first name, is it Colin Oliver was the freshman last year for Oklahoma State, but the, the, um, and then Tyler Lacey, they, Oklahoma State had some really good college football players on that defensive line and some productive college football. They, weren't they the leader in sacks last year, college football wise, right? Like they were at least, they led the nation in sacks last year. Yeah. Yeah, they were a fantastic unit, and they again, none of them is the talent that Zach Harrison is, but they're also better football players than Zach Harrison is right now, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a huge difference. Right. So, I mean, it's a huge advantage from a college football perspective for Oklahoma State defensive line. I think secondary is an interesting conversation, Ryan. Uh, again, are, are how much projection are we going to be able to do with the Ohio State secondary? Because I know Ohio State, it's it's hilarious listening to some Ohio State fans on on the message board or on the on the YouTube channel. You'd swear to God that three of their come, returning secondary guys are going to be top ten picks next year. They still are living this fantasy world that they got Eli Apple, Von Bell, Marshawn Latimer, Jeff Okuda trotting out this year in, in the secondary, and and uh, it's just not accurate in my opinion. Now, could it be a good secondary this year? Yes. But the reality is I don't care how bad Kerry Coombs was as a coach last year. That was also partly a talent problem. They didn't have great talent. They had good talent. They still have good talent. Uh, but I would say that, that that so did the Oklahoma State secondary, which is partly why Jim Knowles brought McAllister with him because mm-hmm. he, they needed him to play uh, and they're always going to play. I will say this. Ohio State has the more athletic secondary. But the secondary last year for Oklahoma State was really good. It was mm-hmm. a very good secondary. Um, you know, the the Con- Bernard Converse kid was really good. They had three really good safeties, including Tanner McAllister. They had kids that could cover. Uh, th- th- there's a reason in the regular season they allowed, in a, in a passing league, they allowed one receiver to go for 100 yards last year. One. That's it. Notre Dame had three in the Fiesta Bowl alone. So it's kind of like, what what people like Notre Dame's defense is not as bad as it looked like in the Fiesta Bowl. I'd make the same case for Oklahoma State's. They they were not that bad at pass defense coming in the season. They were a top ten pass defense coming into that season last year. The most they had allowed all year was three hundred and seven to Iowa State. After that, their next highest was two hundred and fifty two yards against Oklahoma, but that was on thirty nine pass attempts from Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams completed 51.3% of his passes, averaged 6.5 yards per attempt against Oklahoma State. They were not having a lot of success. Teams were not having a lot of success completing passes against Oklahoma State last year. They just weren't. Uh, Notre Dame had success because they got really good players. 
Uh, and it was also a bowl game and, you know, what to expect from this. And that's why I just don't put a ton on bowl games. But when you watch film of Oklahoma State last year, they had a very, very good secondary, very good secondary. And um, will Ohio State's be more physically talented, Ryan? I would say yes. Would you agree with that? Physical, yeah. just athleticism and talent. Yeah. But they're going to have to improve a lot from where they were last year to be better than Oklahoma State's, in my opinion. I don't disagree with that because, I, I mean, I think that Jarek Bernard Converse, who now transferred to LSU, mm-hmm. I mean, he's most well-coached one out of any – if you put all Ohio State cornerbacks in a, in, in a pool and you put all the Oklahoma State kids from last year in a pool, he's the most technically sound player. And then they had number 31, whose name's escaping me, at safety, who's a good player. You mentioned McAllister. They traced Sterling back there at, at safety as well. I'm not even sure played against Notre Dame. I think he may have missed that did. game. Yeah. yeah, but, I mean, really good players, though. I mean, really good college football players. Are they going to be stars on the NFL level? No. Could Denzel Burke be a dude on the NFL level if he if he improves? Sure. Could Ronnie Hickman be that dude? Sure. But right now, they aren't those guys, right? Yeah. They are right now not as good at college football players as what we saw at Oklahoma State in 2021. Right. You're talking about Colby Harvell-Pell. And the other thing, too, is, Jack, if we're talking about where they'll be against Notre Dame, that's what our answers were for is where will they be against Notre Dame? I've said this in previous shows. Ohio State, in my opinion, is going to be a lot better team in November than they will be in September. I mean, Notre Dame will as well, but I think Ohio State especially because there are some things that they have to overcome that aren't just going to magically change just because there's a new coach. Same with Notre Dame. There's going to be areas where Notre Dame is going to be a lot better. Like, I expect the offensive line to be a lot better in October, November than it is going to be on September 3rd. That doesn't mean it won't be good on September 3rd, but I don't think that he's – like, Notre Dame against Ohio State, I don't think – well, maybe it should be this. I'm not expecting it to look like the 2017 offensive line in September 3rd. I just I think that would be an unfair expectation. Uh, so I think it'll take a little bit of a little bit of time, in my opinion. Got Rob O'Meara. Do they prefer Minich over Coach McCullough's son Dea? Yes, they do. That's yeah. why they're recruiting him. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. John A1, will Notre Dame field a top three team in terms of physicality? What do you expect from this team's unit, uh, this team uh, and unit to unit as far as being physical? That's a good question, uh, John. I, I I would say it would it would be hard for me to expect them to be that in year one. Because the one of the complaints I had about Notre Dame last year, which is I still can't believe I actually had this about Notre Dame, they were not an overly physical football team last year. On either side of the ball, we talked about they could run. I think that's the thing that that a lot of people didn't give Notre Dame's team enough credit for last year. They had a lot of kids that could run. And, and you know, I mean, receiver, you've got Kevin Austin went and ran a 4-4-3. I have been told by people he was at best their third fastest receiver, at best. With, you know, Avery Davis is ahead of him. And I've told, had people tell me that, or I mean, uh, Braden Lindsay's ahead of him, but I've had people tell me Avery fast, Avery Davis ran faster 40 times than Kevin Austin did. Now, well, you know, I'm just talking about like last year, for example. Uh, secondary, Kyle Hamilton can run. Cam Hart can flat out fly. You know, he can run. The linebackers could run. I think one, like I said, oh, Notre Dame's linebackers weren't really athletic. I disagree. I don't think athleticism was their problem last year. I think length was their problem last year. They had a pretty athletic defensive line. Uh, you know, Notre Dame has guys that can run. The que- the problem last year is they just weren't they, they weren't soft. I'm not saying that they just weren't physical. And I think a lot of that was in the preparation. And I know that's something that Coach Freeman wants to fix. And I think a big part of that comes from if your offensive line is going to set that agenda, and the fact that they weren't a very physical offense, I think it it does. That's one area where I think the two sides of the ball can impact each other and the offense can have a big impact on the defense. Cause if you're not getting banged on Monday to Friday, it's hard to just turn that switch on, on Saturday. You know what I mean? When you talk about d- defensive line play. So there's a ways to go before I would say they're one of the top three, you know I mean? Cause like, you know, obviously George is going to be in that conversation. You know, they're going to be in there. Uh, the, the, there's a big difference between the physical, forget talent, Take talent out of the conversation, Ryan, because talent's a, a different thing here. Yep. Just the way Georgia plays, they are significantly more physical than what Notre Dame was last year, significantly. Mm-hmm. So there's a long way to go between where Notre Dame was in 2021 and where they would need to get to in 2022 for them to be top three. Now, they better be top 10, right? I mean, that 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 can be fixed right away, but – 
it, it's a mindset thing that I think can take some time to truly get to the level. I mean, Kirby's been building towards this since the minute he was hired. Sure. And and Marcus Freeman has to overcome a lack of physicality that they had and to make it to make it more so, which is why I think he does want to emphasize being better at running the football. Yeah. Well, I think it's a mindset thing, right? I mean, to your point, it's like this has to be ingrained and there's some bad habits that need to be changed and you need to kind of set the standard, right? And that's like a big thing for Coach Freeman and the staff. And I mean, I think of, when I think of physical teams too, Brian, like even like a Utah will pop up my head, right? Like Kyle Whittingham mm-hmm. has some physical football teams. Are they always the most athletic? No, they're good. I mean, they're good. They're, they have solid talent for sure, but they just play such a physical brand of football. But why is that? Because he's been there so long and that's all they know. That is ingrained in them. If you're not going to be that way, then you're not going to last on that team. And usually Iowa's the same way, right? Like Kirk Ferentz usually puts out a really physical product. You talked about Georgia. Like those teams have just kind of that demeanor to them, which has been learned, right? So I think that you can't expect it to be just like a flip of the script. It's like, you know, Coach Heastand, is the offense line going to be improved? Absolutely. Is it going to be up to Heastand's standards? Hopefully by the end of the, by the middle to end of the season, we hope. But either way, year two under Coach Heastand, in theory, is going to be better than year one. It's going to be a continued sure. evolution and, and, you know, just improvement in that department, in my in my opinion. I do think the closer they get to that, the better they'll be. Hundred percent. As far as just overall team, John also asks, "How do you expect Jarrett Patterson to play at guard? Will he be an impact player in the run game?" Uh, look, I, I, I here's the thing: I think a lot is being made by some about the move of him from center to guard. I don't think it's that big of a difference. If anything, I think it allows him to play uh, with a little bit more explosiveness off mm-hmm. the ball. Yeah. Uh, can he be an impact player in the run game? It depends. I think he can be an impact player in the run game by how I would define it, which is more broadly being highly effective and efficient at what you do. Uh, yes, I think he's athletic. He gets to the second level well. I think not, not having a snap will allow him to use both of his hands. So I, I do think that it, it'll make he'll, he can be an impact player. If you define impact as is he going to look like Quentin Nelson or Mike McGlinchey in 2017? No, different type of player. Uh, sure. I think he can be an impact player in a run game. It's just not gonna. It's not gonna look the same way when Quentin Nelson did it, right? Because they're just different types of players. So that would be my my answer to that. Let's see. We got a few more here that we'll get to before we get out of here. Um, Stone Stonador. Is it normal for commits to be so involved with recruiting? Love to see CJ Carr putting so much effort in to help build this class. Yeah, it's been going on for a while. Yeah, I think the different. I mean, like Gabriel Rubio, Blake Fisher were huge, huge recruiters in 2021. Um, you know, last year, you know, we we've kind of talked about some of the guys. Nolan Ziegler was a big part of what they did last year. the The difference now is because of social media, you you and us, we can all see it more. But yeah, building relationships has always been a very important part of that. Now, the 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 thing is, it it's. It's always been a part of it since this recruiting calendar was expanded the way that it was. As I've said before, it wasn't that long ago that a lot of the best players and a lot of players didn't commit until after their senior seasons. So it was all kind of happened a lot quicker. You're seeing it, it it goes on so much longer now that it allows more time to build those relationships. Where in the past, it was always like, hey, man, I'm good. You're good. Let's go do this thing together. And it would be something that was decided uh, later. Uh, but and and when you did have the longer relationship things, it would be like kids from the same region. All the kids from Miami talking about wanting to go to the U, or all the kids from, you know, LA talking about let's go to USC or whatever. You know, it would be more stuff like that was regional. Now it's just TJ Carr can talk to a kid from Hawaii just as easily as, as easily as he can talk to a kid from Detroit. You know, in regards to the uh, access to communication. You know, because I mean, back when we were kids, if you wanted to build a relationship up, not uh, back when I was a kid. Ryan didn't have this problem, I don't think. Back when I was a kid, if you wanted to build a relationship with a kid that lived across the country, it cost money. <laughs> it's called a long-distance phone call. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we didn't have – it wasn't until I went to college the first time I got on an on a, a instant messenger type of thing, right? You know, so um, it's, a, it's a different world. But it was always there. It's just it's more prominent now and more exposed to it now. Sean Kane asks, is Howard Cross likely to start at nose or back up Jason A, or does it depend on the progress of Jacob Lacey and Smith at nose guard? I expect him to start. Um, um, I expect him to start uh, at nose. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, with a uh, with a health yeah. with a healthy dose of Jacob Lacey in right. there as well, and Smith. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think those four will kind of play the inside spots unless one of some of the younger guys um, are are gonna are, are gonna be able to to climb into that. So yeah, I would expect him to be a player. He's just so small. I mean, even, I saw a picture the other day of all the the linemen hanging out, and I'm like, man, he's so little, you know. But I mean, he he gets the job done, you know, like gets the job done. Tough New Jersey kid, man. Yeah, there you go. MGo Iris, is anyone hearing if Notre Dame showing interest in Jordan Marshall, running back out of Moeller High School in Cincinnati? He was at Irish Invasion, and so clearly there's a there's a relationship there. Uh, right now, I don't I don't know where he stands in regards to getting an offer, um, but um, yeah, they're on him. I mean, you know, they're 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 on him. There's there's no doubt about that. Call me Ty with a question here. Uh, by the way, Justin Marshall's a 2024 running back. Just to be clear. Call me Ty, different type of player. Do you put Scott in the same level as a recruit as Keon Keeley? Okay, here's my thing. If we're going to go back to when they were both sophomores, he's better than Keon Keeley. He's a better player, high school player, as a sophomore than Keon Keeley was as a sophomore. Keon, at a young age, was about projection, right? It's when the light goes on, he will be this. So the ceiling was always higher for Keon. But Justin was a more disruptive, dominant player as a junior than Keon was. I mean, as a sophomore than Keon was a sophomore. However, Justin would have to make a big leap to be better than what Keon was as a junior, right? Because that's the thing is, is from day one, you all remember me talking about this. Like, this kid is a five-star waiting to happen. You know, that's that was the thing about Keon. Justin Scott is also that kind of player. But I don't know if, like, I would say – like I think Keon could be a top five pick. I think Justin Scott's more of a top ten to fifteen overall pick if they both maximize their potential for looking at from the NFL draft uh, because of the fact one plays on the edge and one plays inside. So is he is he quite on the same level as Keon? No, not quite there from a projection standpoint. He's more advanced than Keon was because he's so much bigger. I mean, Keon was a six foot six string bean as string bean as a sophomore. Right. Justin Scott's 300 pounds already, you know, so he's just further along. But the ceiling for Keon is is higher. And that's true of any defensive lineman I've seen in the 2024 class. Every single one. I mean, Elijah Rushing, Nigel Smith. I mean, all of them. Great prospects. But Keon's I mean, Keon's not the kind. There's not a Keon Keely in every single class nationally. Forget Notre Dame's class nationally. That's what I think of Keon Keely. Thoughts on that, Ryan? Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I I have not seen Keon Keeley's sophomore tape, so I need to go back and watch that to be able to compare adequately. It's just that's a, I mean, it's a, it's an awesome statement though to make, I and mean, I would yeah. love to see it just because, I mean, obviously we know what Keon Keeley is now, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where my disconnect is. I know what Keeley right. is as a junior. I've only seen Scott as a sophomore, so right. it's a little bit of a different deal. Obviously, because you, so people understand, Ryan was not at Irish Breakdown. When Keon committed, he was still doing something else. So when you jumped in, it was this January, and Keon was yep. already committed. Yep. Our first look at – my first look at Keon was when he committed in last June, which meant the film we were looking at was, like Justin, the sophomore film. But what I'm saying is you could see then that Keon had the elite ceiling. You could mm-hmm. see it then. But you also saw a kid that was super skinny that had room to – he needed to get a lot – bigger and you could see that there was you could see that he was athletic but he didn't quite he had what it looked like to me ryan he was that kid that had just hit a growth spurt mm-hmm. and he was still kind of you see it in basketball even more and he's like still trying to figure out how to always put the coordination together to do that that's what happened when he was a junior if you go back and look at pictures of him when he was a sophomore and now as a junior heading into senior year he's blown up right he now looks like he's ready to go to college and, and be a baller you would not have thought that he was going to help as a freshman when they first got him. You thought when the, this kid's got, but the ceiling was always there. It's always there. You should go back and watch a sophomore film. I'd be curious to hear, hear your I'm, thoughts on that. I'm, I'm definitely going to yes, do that. But the, yes. the only Keon Keeley I know is the 6'6", 240-pound version. That's not the one that visited, committed to Notre Dame. Uh, he was like 220, 225 when he committed, and that was bigger than what he was as a sophomore on in the fall. Because mm-hmm. remember, this was June of his going into his junior year. Yep. He, he, but the, ta- the, the upside was always there. It was always there. God country, Notre Dame barbecue 
Thank you for the super chat very, very much. Super excited. I'm leaving to go camping all week. No Wi-Fi, no cell phones, which means no IB. I expect commit videos on Novasad, Love, Osborne, Hannafin when I get back. Have a great week, IB. Well, you, you're going to need to be gone for a while because uh, Jaden Osbury doesn't commit for another nine days. Uh, and, and so he doesn't commit to August 4th. And I don't know that all those guys have commits uh, scheduled for the next week. I don't think any of them do, actually. So uh, hopefully we won't disappoint you. But I couldn't do that, Ryan. I could not go be gone for a week without access to internet. Just, oh, I couldn't either. I mean, for your job, right? Like, literally, yeah. you couldn't for the job. But, um, yeah, yeah. I'll God Country, Notre Dame Barbecue. I'll give all those guys a call and be like, hey, we need you to commit today. Yes. Right? And we got a guy that's camping that needs us to all get some stuff done here uh, before uh, before he gets back. So can you guys help us out, please? Would really appreciate that. Would really appreciate that. All right, let's get to some more here. All right, I can't. Somebody just my my buddy Jason just said that Orlando Pace is overrated in college. In college, I'm about oh to, Jesus, really bad take. That's almost as bad of a take as saying you could have sacked me in high school. But no, that's actually a worse take. It's actually a worse take. Archer asks, looking into the future, which position group do you feel best about over the next four years, and which position group concerns you the most? I mean, linebacker has to be the one that you feel best about, right? With how they're committed, how they're recruiting over the last two years. Uh, I'm right? still I going mean, defensive line. You think so? Yeah, right. yeah. Just because line, I, I, I think you can make it. I, first of all, I think the fact is we could have a conversation about several position groups, sure. which is where you want to be. I could argue tight end. I could argue offensive line. I, I love what they're doing at corner. I, I mean, I think it's it's not getting talked about enough of how good the last couple of classes have been at cornerback. Reason I'd go D line is because you you're you're not like the 2022 linebacker class, like they were overcoming some of the issues that were there before because of mm-hmm. short on numbers. Okay. Right? Where D line is 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 building on top of a group that was already pretty good. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah. that's why I'd still go D line. I'd still go D line ahead. So um, what can, what concerns you the most? Mine's pretty easy. Specialists. I mean, like, I don't know what's in the kickers, punters, you know, move where I, yeah. I know Bryce, Bryce McPherson was a nice rec- punting prospect, but I don't know. We'll see moving forward. Yep. I say, uh, the, let's do position group. Let's do position group. What position group are you to me, like most concerned about like of actual players? Are we calling kickers not players? No, position players. Position players. I'm just messing with you. Um, It's a good question. I mean, I don't have like anything that's overly concerning, to be honest. I guess the, I mean, wide receiver, I guess, right? Just like the numbers to continue to get to those numbers, I guess. But like even there, I like the talent that they're bringing in. So that one's a little tough. I guess I would defer to wide receiver just because of the numbers issues, though. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm trying to think. I, I would. Man, that's a tough one. I'd say quarterback. Huh. Yeah, because here's the thing. It right now they don't have a, a quarterback committed in 2023. I'm not super high on Steve Angeli. What if CJ Carr gets hurt? Right? I mean, like to me, there's a difference. Whereas, like, if Jadarian Price were to not pan out or get hurt, you'd you'd still have Jabron Payne, you still have Jaden Lamar, potentially Jeremiah Love. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, those type of things. So uh, to me, I'd say quarterback is still because of the depth is still a problem. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, that yeah, no, makes complete sense. Completely sense. I think, I mean, I guess it would ease your concern a lot if Notre Dame does get a pretty good 2023 quarterback, then you're going to get feel like an, there's an insurance, I guess, to that pick at that point. Yeah. But yeah. Yep. Yep. So. All right, we have a super chat here from Sean Michael. Thanks as always, guys. I just had to show some love to Dane Chris. So underrated. He could throw it 45 yards in a rope, wish injuries didn't get him. I don't think his issues were only injury related. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think Dane Dane had a couple other issues. He had a very long release, which could create some bouts of inaccuracy. And I just don't think he handled adversity on the field super well. You always got to be careful when you say that because people like, you know, they get a little sensitive about I'm not talking about life. You know, he, some people he didn't handle he didn't handle adversity on the field extremely well. 
and he obviously wasn't coached worth a crap by Charlie Molnar, but he had a bazooka for an arm. I mean, there wasn't a Notre Dame quarterback that threw the ball harder or farther that I know of than Dane Christ. I mean, it was, I mean, he had an absolute rocket for an arm. I mean, I just, I remember the touchdown pass against Michigan in 2010. It's like the Michigan guy really thought he had it, the read on that and that ball to Kyle Rudolph that went for like a 95-yard touchdown. He really thought he had a read on that thing, and it just kept going and going and going and going. Uh, but, yeah, he, he – and I also think Dane gets too much of the blame for the 2020-2010 season. I think Kelly gave him too much of the blame, to be honest with you. I don't think they necessarily had an offense that was geared towards Dane, which whatever, you're trying to instill an offense, but – I mean, it's like the Michigan game. People forget Notre Dame had a lead when Dane got hurt, and then the lead was gone when he came back. And and uh, you know, but uh, to me, I just felt like he just got he like, and I think because Tommy Reese went on the run that he went on to go four zero, like oh, that just shows that Dane wasn't that good. Well, that's assuming that Dane was the reason that you lost those games, and and I never felt that he was, you know. But he, mm-hmm. you know, how Kelly, but that's 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 kind of where it was with Kelly was he was always going to blame somebody for the shortcomings. We just didn't know he was that guy yet. You know what I mean? Like we didn't know Kelly was that let's blame somebody type of thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, going into 2020, uh, 2011, it was just one of those things where Kelly's just waiting on him to make a mistake. And then when he did, it was going to, he was going to, you know, falter or move As- on to the next guy. As, as far as pure arm strength, Brian, who else would be in the conversation for you as far as – Wimbush and Everett Golson for sure. Malik Malik had a rocket. Malik would probably be next. Would he? Uh, yeah, Malik had a baz- – I'll tell you what. Uh, do you remember the throw he made against Virginia, the long touchdown to Will Fuller? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to find a much further pass in, 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 than that. I mean, it was mm. it was a – it was an absolute rocket. I mean, they've had some guys with really strong arms. I mean, here just pure arm strength. Deshaun Kaiser is probably not in the top five of yeah. Notre Dame quarterbacks since Brian Kelly arrived. You it's know, and if we're if we're just going to talk just pure arm strength, I mean, Andrew Hendricks is in that conversation. He had a very strong arm and no clue where it was going to go. Hendricks had a uh, rifle. Yes, who is, but who was who was the kid on the who was on the roster a couple years ago? Who backup? He had a cannon for an arm too. You talking about Phil Dracovic? No, no, Bro, Brandon, Phil, Cl- Brandon Clark. Yes, Clark, Clark had yes. a cannon. Yes, yeah, yes, he, yeah, did, he yeah. had a he had a strong. Now again, you had no clue where it was going to go. They've had some kids the last couple years, Ryan, that had very, very strong arms. Uh, it's just there. There was a lot of issues with Notre Dame and quarterback development that didn't have a lot to do with the lack of talent at the position. I've said this a million times. Uh, it was not always about talent. That that was yeah. not always the reason Notre Dame struggled. They had some. I mean, if there was there was a there was look, put it like this: Deshaun Kaiser, a second round NFL draft pick, was on a roster where he had at best the third arm, the, at best the third strongest arm. Because remember, there in 2016, Notre Dame had Malik, Deshaun, and Brandon Wimbush all in the same team. Mm-hmm. And in in uh, you know, and then 2013. You could argue, okay, who had the better arm, Malik or Everett, 2014 as well. I mean, it's a legitimate conversation because Everett had a very strong arm as well. I don't think it was as strong as Malik's. I mean, Malik yeah. had an absolute rifle. Now, again, like like we said, did he did he always know where it was going to go? Was he always going to be accurate? No, but Malik could launch the football. I'm trying to find the touchdown pass he had to Will Fuller because I'm genuinely curious to see how, how far that ball went in the air. He threw it from the 33. Mm-hmm. Let's see here, threw from the 33 far hash, and Will Fuller caught it at the seven. So that's a 43-17. That's a 60-yard pass that he threw from the far hash outside the far numbers. And think about, I mean, was it 17 plus four? That's a 60-yard pass mm-hmm. that he threw in covered covered 60 60 yards vertically, but he threw it from the far hash, right? So I mean. <laughs> That's probably, that's, that's, probably a 60, that's probably a 65, 70 yes. yard, yard throw. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that is yep. a bomb, an absolute bomb. Uh, but yeah, they, they've had some cannons, cannons. Uh, it just just never developed. And that's why I always laugh when when I hear people talk about, well, Notre Dame just hasn't had the just hasn't had this, the talent to, you know, at quarterback. I'm like, come on, man. 
Well, even even when uh, Ian Book was coming out, people were like, oh, he just doesn't have a great arm and blah, blah. I'm like, eh, that's not Ian Book's problem. <laughs> Ian Book has a strong arm. Like, it's not mm-hmm. it's not an issue of arm strength with Ian Book. Right. Yeah, and now, again, was Ian in the same category as those other guys? No. 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 But it was still good arm strength. Yeah. Right, right. But, uh, I mean, uh, who would be your top five? I mean, to me, it's, it's, to me, it's Dane, Malik, um, Dane, Malik, Everett, just we, arm we, strength, Brandon, we, just power, just sheer arm yeah. power. Are just we just strength. doing the Kelly era though on? Yes. So we're not including like yeah. Brady Clinton in that conversation. Yeah, but Brady didn't have a real super strong arm. Was, he didn't have a cannon for an arm. I don't even know who my top five would be. I've had to think about that. Go back I'd and watch some film of Brady. He didn't have a bazooka. He he mm-hmm. he had yeah. He didn't have he had a good arm, but it wasn't like a cannon arm. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd go, I'd go Dane, Malik, Everett, uh, who, who were just, Brandon Wimbush, man. Yeah. Wimbush had a cannon too. Yep. Like it, the fact that I'm not even going to put Jerkovic in there is, you know, it's like, you know, it, it well, he doesn't, probably he doesn't have, he doesn't have a strong arm. Just ask Twitter. Yeah. So. Uh, don't even get me started on that. It'd probably either be uh, just the Kelly air. It'd probably either be Brendan Clark or Andrew Hendricks. Just pure arm strength, mm-hmm. you know, would probably be my five. You know, um, but yeah, I mean, it, who do I say would be number one? I'm Dane. Chris. Dane, Dane, probably be number one. Just, just, mm-hmm. I mean, just power. I'd say Malik's probably two. Um, I'd probably, hmm, boy, Brandon would be three. I'd go Everett. prop Brendan Clark four, and then Ev five. Just pure oh. power. Just power. Now, Everett, yeah. I would argue, had more arm talent than all of them, but just power. Just because Everett could throw it real, as far as any of them, but I thought those guys got a little bit more on the twenty-five yard in cut. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, would would be the difference. So that's a that's a it's a really impressive group. Really impressive group. All right, let's see here. Here's one for you, Ryan. Are there any similarities between Jeremiah Love's game and Ricky Waters' game? See, all right, so I remember Ricky Waters when he was with the Eagles. That was, like, my most memory. I don't really remember him too much. I've seen highlights of him at Notre Dame, but I'll say I think that Ricky had a little more shake to him, but I think Mm -hmm. that Love has a little more vertical speed. Is that fair in that regard? And then, I mean, Ricky was obviously a really – I think that both players obviously have some skills in the passing game, but, I mean, Ricky Waters was a really good all-purpose back, especially in the NFL, so – I'd say Ricky with a little more shake comparative to love that maybe has a little more of explosiveness, if that makes sense. Yep. Mark Bosing in college, who y'all got Tom Zibikowski or Harrison Smith Zibby here. I, I don't even want to answer this question because the people that are loyal to Zibby are like people who are like fans of like politicians or actors where it doesn't matter what stupid thing they say or do. They're still going to support that person. Um, you know, like I think Zibby was a great kid and a, a warrior, but he was he was also a really undisciplined player that would give up big plays. Uh, all around player, it's not it's no question. It's Zibikowski because he could return punts and you know do all that stuff. But as far as just when Harrison finally moved to safety, he was a better safety than Tommy Zibikowski was. It just was. It's fair. You know, now when he was a linebacker, it was equally not close in Zibikowski's favor. But I'm sorry, Harrison Smith's last two years at Notre Dame were better than anything that Tom Zibikowski ever did from a snap after snap after snap basis. What what created Zibikowski's legend was two couple things. Number one, loved Notre Dame, right? And you could just see it. You could see his love for Notre Dame just coming out of his pores. Number two, Zibby was a playmaker. Like he was a clutch do he you could burn him three times in the middle of the game but if if there was a chance to make a game saving or game winning play at the end you felt like he was going to make it and that has caused some people to forget all the times we saw number nine chasing someone into the end zone right i mean that happened way too much for a great player and and that was sort of the knock on zibikowski if i'm being honest and objective but you cannot discount that kid was at his best in big moments he was a clutch money player at Notre Dame. There, there's no – even like the fumble return against Ohio State that got turned down, which shouldn't have been overturned in my opinion. You know, it just it just seemed like he was always going to do something like that. You know what I mean? And it, whether it was on defense or as a punt returner, 
But as far as just who's the if I could take either one of those two safeties, it's not even it's not even discussion for me. I'm taking I'm taking Harrison Smith if based on what he was his last two years at Notre Dame. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely I subscribe to Harrison Smith, the better safety. Tom Zabikowski was the fan favorite. Like my heart mm-hmm. says Tom Zabikowski, my mind says Harrison Smith. And to your point, Brian, I feel like I could always count on Zabikowski to make a play. Mm-hmm. Like I always felt like that man, like whether it was a punt return or it was a turnover or a big tackle, like I always just felt like he was going to do, he was going to get the job done. Just always yep. felt that way. Yeah. Now the problem is there were times you were down three touchdowns because him and the rest of the secondary were, you know, got you behind and that's what a lot not enough people remember about that it's fair yes so um but yeah he and he was a really good kid i uh, had a ch- got a chance to meet him when he was in high school at the bowling green camp so uh really really nice kid he's got to be one of the toughest players that are oh yeah had too i mean that, that he was not big at all he was small no. yeah. like if, if you ever like were next to tom and i mean small as like compared to football players i mean he could still kick my butt I'm just talking about like compared to, you know, guys he was going against, but uh, he was not a real big guy, but he played big, you know? And uh, he, I think, you know, what's funny is I'll say this. If Tom Sibikowski was playing today, you know, where I'd mm-hmm. play him. He would not be a safety for me. Rover. He's my starting Rover. Yeah. Like, because then he doesn't have to have the same coverage response because his problem was he was always coming, wanting to come downhill. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he he would have been great in in Zeke Mata's role in 2012. He might have been an All American playing that role. Mm-hmm. They just tried to always they kept putting him in coverage, and it's like, why are you putting him in that situation? Why why are you asking him to do that? Like it, that that was as much of a coaching problem as it was a Zibby problem, in my opinion. You knew who he was. Why are you asking him to do that? Right. Ne- never made any sense. Last two questions. Corey Flynn asks, when do we see and read your Marcus Freeman interview? You mentioned you conducted a few weeks back. Corey, thank you for the super chat. Uh, part of it is already out. Uh, Corey, we actually have – I did write one article about that. Uh, the other part will be part of the uh, the football preview, which we're, which I'm still working on. So that's uh, kind of a solo thing right now that I'm, that I'm working on, so we're going to try to get that done. I'm hoping that will be done before the season starts. And that will be something that uh, I think my, my thing now is only going to be open to uh, Irish Breakdown subscribers. So I will put that interview up after that at some point in time on the site. But for now, uh, it is something that is going to be in mostly. And now the, I got a couple features from that that will have quotes from it. But as far as in the Q&A form, it's going to go into the football preview magazine. And then last question. Here's an interesting for you from Sean Kane, Ryan. We'll, we'll wrap up on this one. Who has the higher ceiling, Gabriel Rubio or Jason Onye? It would be Onye for me because I think that Onye is just a little more of a gifted athlete and he's still growing into his frame. But I think Gabriel Rubio has a pretty significantly higher floor, right? Like mm-hmm. I think that you can depend on him. It's just I think Jason Onye can be a playmaking nose while I think Gabriel Rubio could be a really solid run-stopping defensive tackle. But I don't think he's going to give you as much from a penetration perspective as a Jason Onye. Right. I would agree with that. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, I definitely agree on the ceiling versus floor part. There's no doubt about that. I think Jason Onye has a very high ceiling, very high ceiling, in my opinion. Uh, Somebody asked the last time Notre Dame had a punt return for a touchdown. Last time Notre Dame had a punt return for a touchdown was CJ Sanders in 2015. Hmm? So that is the last time they had a punt return for a touchdown. Yes, 2015. Anyway, that's going to do it for today. for today's show. Appreciate everybody being with us. Sorry about the technical difficulties. I have no clue why StreamYards all of a sudden wasn't allowing me to share that, but it is what it is. But uh, appreciate your patience, uh, some of you's patience uh, today. Uh, but uh, we'll be back to, uh, tonight, 6 o'clock tonight. Now, scheduling note. So, Vit- Sean Styers is on vacation this week, but that does not mean that there is no IB Nation Sports Talk. Uh, Vince will be hosting that all week, so you will not see Vince in our in our afternoon show this week. Because Vince is going to be hosting IB Nation Sports Talk. You won't see Vince on this show until Friday's mailbag. But so he'll be hosting at 6 p.m. Eastern tonight. He is going to have Tom Noy uh, from the South Bend Tribune. And the insider will be on with him tonight. They're going to talk Notre Dame basketball and and some other topics. Because if you know Tom, Tom's pretty uh, versed on all different sports at Notre Dame. So they will do- definitely talk some basketball because Notre Dame has started uh, they've already kind of started their summer workouts and, and for, for basketball. So uh, 
I'm sure, I'm sure that uh, uh, JJ Starling's name will come up tonight. He uh, so supposedly is, is looking great so far in camp. So he's gonna he's gonna be a monster. I think Notre Dame's first McDonald's All American in a while. So they're gonna talk about him, but they'll talk about a lot of other things. So that will be. So make sure you tune in tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern for. Uh, the IB Nation Sports Talk. Vince will be hosting that all week while Sean is out, and uh, we'll, we'll get the rest of it. Uh, rest of our summer schedule here figured out, but we're going to have a lot of team stuff coming up this week. Uh, Ryan and I will be doing the 1 p.m. hour, a couple hours, and then Vince will be hosting the show at night. Mace AK hit it perfectly, everybody. Join the message board, hit the like button, hit the subscribe, or subscri- subscribe to the channel, and please subscribe to our new CFB uh cfb uh, nation show that we have as well uh, hit the notification bell share this podcast leave a five-star review visit the ib store for some gap closers merch like ryan has on ryan rock show the show the gap closers uh and as always go irish thanks everybody for being with us tonight or today we will talk to you all we'll see all of you hopefully again tonight at six o'clock for vince's uh, ib nation sports talk show and the rest of you we will see tomorrow thanks for joining merch breakdown podcast <laughs>